0: Hello and welcome to History Factory Plugged In. I'm Jason Dressel. And today we have a very special guest. Ram Charan is with us to talk about his new book, Rethinking Competitive Advantage, which came out last month. And if you're not familiar with Ram, uh, you are in for a treat. Uh, Let me give you a little context on Ram Charan. Uh, Basically, he is one of the world's most in-demand CEO consultants and CEO whispers. Um, there was a profile on him uh, in Fortune uh, nearly 15 years ago titled, The Strange Existence of Ram Sharan. What he does is hard to describe, but the most powerful CEOs love it enough to keep him on the road 24-7 and make him the most influential consultant alive. And the article focused on two things about Ram that makes him one of the most unique people you'll ever meet. The first is what the Fortune article called, quote, not a consultant so much as a guru, a corporate sage with unparalleled access to boardrooms across the globe and intimate, enduring relationships with an array of powerful CEOs. And that's true. Um, Here at History Factory, we've worked with Rahm a couple of times on projects. And the access and respect that he has to the CEOs of the world's biggest companies is amazing. Um in fact last year before the pandemic hit I was meeting with the CEO of one of our clients in New York and as I'm leaving the executive floor and sort of being you know ushered out I see that Ram is sitting in the CEO's office and I give him a little wave and and you know there he is just he's constantly traveling the world meeting with CEOs literally almost every single day and the second thing, um, which Ron doesn't really like to talk about so much, but is really interesting, is that his whole life is around business and business consulting. I mean, he literally travels 24-7 and makes George Clooney's character in that film, Up in the Air, look like an amateur business traveler. And so for a person who has been traveling constantly for the last 40 years, I was sort of curious, you know, what this last year has been like for him and found out that he, he wrote out a big chunk of, uh, chunk of the pandemic at a hotel in Hawaii. But that also gave him time to author his new book, uh, Rethinking Competitive Advantage, New Rules for the Digital Age. Rom has written over thirty books uh, since nineteen ninety eight that have sold over four million copies. His books are informed by his nonstop schedule of meeting with leaders around the world of the planet's biggest companies and reflect the issues that these companies are confronting and are affecting the global economies. So with us to share some of those insights of what companies and leaders need to be thinking about to stay competitive is the one and only Ram Sharan. Ram, welcome to History Factory Plugged In. Thank you so much for
1: joining our podcast. I am honored and delighted to do this. You've got great uh, venue for people to learn new things, new ideas, and getting into the future and building the future.
0: Well, Ram, it's always a pleasure uh, to talk to you, um, and I'm excited to talk about your your new book. And in the new book, you identify six rules that help explain the dominance of big tech, but you say are also critical and adoptable for any company in this digital age. So maybe we can begin, Ram, with what are the six rules that you've
1: identified? Yes, yes. These rules are based on being a great business, number one. And I'm modifying them because I've been researching them going after. The first most critical rule is personalization, market of one, individual customer, individual consumer. You link with them, you look at their end-to-end journey, You engage them multiple times a day, a week, a month. You create data. That data is used to create recurring revenues. If you create a partner ecosystem, it will give you adjacent revenues. This is now the new essence of the business. It is business savvy, and you cannot do without machine learning, without data, without algorithms, and without software. The tools have existed for centuries, but 1997, a young man called Jeff Bezos figured out how to apply them to the large business and change how business makes money. That's number one. They all talk, they don't have it. 99% of the companies don't yet have the algorithms, don't yet have the software. They're beginning to do that. And Walmart woke up in the last three years under Doug McMillan. It's moving. It's great to see how in last three years it has moved. It has broadened the sources of revenues. It is using the Walmart stores as a place people can pick it up. They've got data on more than 100 million customers. They're going into healthcare. They're going into advertising. They understand the concept of getting the adjacent revenues recurring revenues, additional cost of additional revenues is much lower. So they are going to increase the gross margin. The gross margin is much lower than Amazon and it will really begin to, so that's item number one. Item number two that we could not do before is the algorithms, machine learning, the digital age helps you to be predictive. You can predict that helps you in managing inventories, creating new kinds of products. And this way, your products can be very fa- very fresh, simply because the cycle time to produce new products has been cut. A vaccine decision this e- last year was made in two days by Moderna. They did that in parallel. Something took seven, eight years. It's done in less than a year that is a competitive advantage those who could not do it they are not in this game and they're suffering so that's principle number two principle number three is if you're managing your business alone you will not get there you must have an ecosystem because you see what the customer's total life needs are and with your platform with your last mile delivery. With your data, you satisfy more niche than one, and therefore you are crossing several industries because you have one machining platform. And that's huge. People have to change their habits. Number four, old core competencies are old. Obsolete. We have learned for the last 50 years, roughly, to build your old core competencies. You can. You can grow two or three percent per annum, but you will be obsolete. So you need to define what core competencies you need and which ones, old ones to keep and shed. Do it fast because they become resistance in the company. They prevent the new thing coming in. Almost all that is in the top layers. If you don't do it, you're going to regret it. In this game, the speed is so high that if you are left behind, you may never be able to come back. A Sears, a Lauren Taylor, a Macy's, a JCPenney's. It is retailing first, others beginning to come going forward. There is a next one a culture of learning. Things are so fast, obsolescence is daily. So, your company your organization with the ecosystem must have a cu- culture of learning. I have one company, Fidelity in Boston, in one part of the company. They now have a skills requirement tied up to the compensation. One is new skill every year for their people. And the next one, every business has been made complex. Let me explain. For 100 years, do you recall we have a phrase, span of control yes must go you're going to have 10 people reporting to you 7 people reporting to you 13 people reporting to you it must collapse in of span of control it is the span of empowerment span of coaching control 80% will be done by algorithms amazon does it they have data 24/7 They have algorithms, machine learning, to find deviations continuously. They find sources, they predict. You don't have human being controlling it. You have human being training, coaching, expanding people's wavelength, ability. And the last one, the most important, is machine learning helps you imagine the size and the scope Of demand and market space you've never seen before, so Jeff Bezos rightly shows that his total market online alone is minimum one and a half trillion, because internet penetrates the whole boundaries. My total sales, when he said that, were two hundred billion. So my market share is very small. He's on that path. He's fighting for market share in India. India will grow. Indonesia will grow. And that imagining the extended market space will help you take your company 10X, 20X, 30X. That is how you create market cap. I want people to know that an Amazon has hard nosed embedded customer base, data. Would you believe its market value is five times its revenues? Apple, five times plus the revenues. They have customers, they have hardware, they have a brand. It's not fluff, it's not ether. If you do your business right, you do mastery of each individual customer, it's end to end experience. There is no reason why you couldn't do that. But get ahead of the curve. 99% of the companies still don't have it. Those who have it first and be basics. They will lead the others. This is the window of time to do that. That's what this book is about.
0: And the book that it sounds like, Ram, the audience for this book is largely the, those 99% companies that you are referring to. And I, I would, I would assume that um, in the book you um, you describe. Uh, companies as, as legacy companies or traditional companies. And so Correct. I first just wanted to Correct. clarify, is there a difference between a traditional company versus a legacy company? Or are you
1: using that term uh, interchangeably? Interchangeably. Interchangeably, yeah. And, and, and so, very simple. Most of these companies are hardware companies. Hard plants. And they're run from the hard plants. The new age is software algorithmic-driven. Auto industry will be driven by algorithms, by software. Hardware is important, will be integrated. But the larger part of drive will come from that side. It's unmistakable. All companies who survive will do that.
0: And I I would think that for those companies uh, of the six rules that you you described I would think one of the more difficult ones for them to overcome is the core competencies and that issue of changing the culture from the top but I'm curious what your perspective is on what of the rules you think are are more difficult versus those that might be
1: more yeah. more yeah. easier yeah. for those companies yeah. to to implement yeah i will give you live examples ceo of the company owns to have the right culture and that culture is in the top two layers if you don't have the right culture in top two layers the rest will not happen top two layers is less than 50 people in a proper way their attitude their mindset their kpis their reward system change those if they don't change you change them But before you do that, create a burning platform. Take them around the world to see what's happening. Open their eyes. They're good people. Get them out of their box. If you have 50 people, I guarantee you, at least 20 say, why the hell are we waiting? They're not fools. They're just waiting. Lead us with a burning platform. We will do that. And there will be 10 who don't want it. And there could be executive VPs. They got to go through change. If they don't do it, you deal with them. Now, there's a company that was Delphi. It had gone bankrupt. It came from General Motors. I had advised that company for some time, did succession. And you got a new CEO from inside. He split the company. Hardware went to Warner, and the software algorithm vision, separate company with joint venture or alliances with Mobileye Intel. Done fabulously. Total culture change, new people, new way of thinking, new way to make decisions, new way to allocate resources, totally new KPIs and customer oriented, consumer-oriented. So there are ways to do that. This is leadership. Leaders' job is to choose a vision, create a morning platform, and the top two layers of 50 guys, 50 people, 50 ladies. Get them aligned. If they're not aligned, you've got to make some decisions. Don't worry about the rest of the company. The problem is not in middle management. I can tell you that because I talk to a CEO every single day somewhere in the world. They talk to me about their direct reports. Middle management is more pliable. What if
0: any advantages do you see the the traditional or legacy companies having over the digital giants.
1: Oh yes, beautiful. I have a company called Uniqlo, brand. if you heard of it. Yeah. It's now number one by market cap against his direct competitors. What is it? Touch. Online company alone does not have touch. This company has a touch and with new teams, new core competencies and expansion. So traditional companies have customer base, they have trust, they have touch. They need this new tool. Digitization is a new tool. Just the way we got electricity as a new tool, it is a new tool. It's commoditized. It's not expensive. And... You write that the digital giants
0: are, in a sense, starting to lose some some gap on market share as as these traditional players, like you've mentioned, like Fidelity and Walmart and Disney, are beginning to catch up. But what do you think that means for the digital giants, and how will they respond? Do you see them yeah. going in that direction of trying to create that dimension of
1: of of touch? Uh, Amazon has begun whole Foods more to come. Yeah, but the opportunities for them are still infinite. Don't underwrite and don't underestimate them. The engine is very powerful. they keep searching new things like I just saw Amazon now have B2B. They used to have B2C. I can tell you five more things they can do. They can tell you that. So market share loss is not the right thing because the expansion of the market. It depends how you measure it. And the margins these guys have are huge. Amazon's margins have gone from 20% in gross margin to now 40 going to 50. No retailer in the world has it. None. And they won't until they make some changes. They are the cash machine. The traditional guys are not cash machine. They're still linear, 3% growth, 4% growth. I'm talking at a $4 billion base of revenue 30% Thirty percent growth. They are doing it. Yeah. So we say, I'm saying, it's not lost. Ninety nine percent are not done. You become the disruptor against your old peers.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask, as part of the research for this book, what was one of the
1: most surprising things that you learned? Mm-hmm. The surprising I find it is that there is an ignorance mm-hmm. on the part of CEOs and their direct reports. And there's a fear and anxiety. They don't know really what algorithms are, what they can do. For them, it's a black box. They have not taken the time to learn it. And they don't understand, you don't have to learn it, what you have to do, what algorithms can do. Just like when electricity came, you don't have to know what the generator is. When Henry Ford copied the assembly line from Whitney, they need to know what it could do. Not that they have to master the assembly line. Right. Right. So the learning agility has been poor.
0: And you and, and to your point of learning, you talked about the the culture of learning as being one of the uh one of the six rules, if you will. And I'm curious yeah. how you see that um pertaining to these digital giants, as you call them, that are comparatively speaking and historically speaking, in the context of Industry leaders in the S and P five hundred. Um, these are relatively young companies, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, Jeff Bezos is is just now beginning his leadership transition out of Amazon, as an example. And I'm curious what your perspective is on the staying power uh, of these companies as they look to obviously uh, endure for
1: for the yeah. next several decades. Yeah, Jason, I need to really lay this out to you. I'm ready. The staying, power, the staying power of a company is directly correlated to selection of the CEO and the board. I can take it through any company. If it died because one CEO or three in a row, they nearly killed it. It has nothing to do with anything else. We have companies that are 100 years old and, and vibrant. I would consider j as a vibrant company. It's more than 100 years old. They seem to get the right CEOs and the right board. People in power, I call. And you have a GE, which is also that old, and you know the results. It will survive. It will come back. They got the right CEO. They chose a person post jetty Mill. The board thought he was not good. So the board acted. They could have they could have waited three years. Give him a chance. They did not. In 99% of the cases, board would have said, for God's sake, give him a chance. He's only here 12 months. That's what I mean by the board. So cut your yeah. losses.
0: Yeah. So, wrong shifting gears a little bit. I'm I'm curious based on the the conversations that you have with CEOs and leaders every day, what you expect the long-term impact of the pandemic to be? How how do you expect business to return to normal versus what do you see as
1: being here to stay as the as the new normal? Uh, Jason, there is a great learning by CEOs Number one, pandemic demonstrated how the people cross function, cross units can really collaborate so fast, unbelievable. Second, how the cycle times got shortened to hours from months. Third, they focused on the consumer, but something happened they never did before, focused on the employee. This is huge. They all woke up about the employees now. And that's not going to go back to the old days. Not going to happen. Other things may go back to the old days, but not the employee care.
0: How how do you think the care for employees shifted since the pandemic? Uh, That's an interesting perspective that I guess I hadn't thought of in that
1: context. Yeah, safety. I have a company that is saying, I am want to find out first 2% of the employees who have ninety 98% of the impact, what is the job we can create to their talent? I'm talking 50 employees, 2% is the concept. So we're gonna take each of them, we're gonna figure it out, what their talent is and their aspirations are. We want to give them a chance, we create a job for them, structure the job for them. Now, once you have a job you love, guess what happens to the energy? And we don't want to put him under a boss who will smother it. We'll change that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What's been one of the biggest surprises of the last year for you? I think the of course everybody knows about pandemic and all that. Is a small percentage of people that I have come across, CEOs, who really begin to think around June, July. There is a very bright future post-pandemic. They assign small teams. So we're going to get it over. It may take longer. But the market space is changing because of convergence of technology. And because the ecosystem becoming more collaborative. Competition among pharmaceutical companies became collaborative. Yeah. So they begin to visualize what a great future lies ahead. Let's put some building blocks now in place. They are the visionaries. What are you most excited about for the future? Well, I am because I see $90 trillion GDP today, roughly give and take. In 10 years cumulative over time, we're going to have 40 40 trillion more. Go and get your share. <laughs> well, that's probably about as good a spot to leave it
0: as anywhere, Ram. Um, but congratulations on on the new book. Always great to talk to you. The the last thing I just have to ask you, given uh, knowing what a what a, a jet setter you are, and you've uh, sort of defined and set the the standard of the globe trotting uh, consultant. What's it been like for you over the last year? presumably not traveling at the same pace uh, that you always have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Jason, the first three, four months, I got a peace of mind to do some thinking and writing. From then on, I've been constantly on Zoom and Teams. This morning, I taught for three hours to 95 Indian executives. Yesterday, I taught to 95 executives for three hours, as if I'm in the Harvard business classroom. I figured out the technology how to do that virtually, and you don't feel any, any significant difference versus my physical teaching in the Harvard business classroom, where I used to teach, as you know, mm-hmm. and I used to get those awards of best teachers and all that stuff. So here, that part is very rewarding. And of course, I have now, would you believe, written 32 books? Two books wow. are coming and writing the articles to but researching every day and learning from the people my amazon book got an award one of the three books that got award and i just got a note of the global gurus i became number 3 there so people recognizing this part going forward there's Terrific. so much to do so much to do there's no time to brood yeah. And are you starting are you starting to travel again? I am. Good. I was in India twice in the last month. Today I am Dallas going to Philadelphia. Come back on Saturday. Okay, good. So yeah, I'm doing that. Because I got the vaccine, you still have to watch it. Did you miss the travel? Oh no, no, no. See if you're busy, you don't worry about it. If you're learning every day. There's no better substitute. Well, Ram, it was great talking to you
0: and congrats again on the book and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that concludes this episode of History Factory Plugged In. I'm Jason Dressel. And again, thanks so much for listening and thank you again to Ram Sharon. If you're interested in picking up his new book, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or IndieBound or Porchlight. And to learn more about Rom and browse uh, his catalog of more than 30 books, you can check out the website RahmSharan.com. That's R-A-M hyphen C-H-A-R-A-N dot com. hyphen So be well, and we'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode of History Factory Plugged In.